Uh, we're going to begin, um, let me just introduce uh, for you Dr. John Delhousay, who's professor of New Testament over at Phoenix Seminary. Now, I probably didn't say that role specifically. Uh, is, is that good enough? That's good enough. Okay, all yeah. right. He, yeah. he, he likes Greek, so that's what he does. <laughs> and um, he's going to be joining us for this panel. Uh, well, let me just make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, so there are really kind of four views of uh, the millennium, the millennial kingdom, right? So you've got sort of a dis- kind of. So Tom's looking at me strange. I'm like getting no, nervous. No, no, go, go. Um, uh, but you I got didn't know like, we're jumping right there. Okay. But you've got sort of the, the dispensational premillennial view, and then you have that historic premillennial view, and then you've got um, the, uh, the on-mill view, and then the post-mill view, right? And it's all about where you put Christ's kingdom uh, on earth, whether or not it's a, a little, literal reign, uh, or whether or not it's um, it's more of a, a symbolic reign, is that the way that we speak of it? Is there a better way to say it? Well, I, I guess I wouldn't say if you're all millennial. I don't think it's a symbolic reign, but the saints are truly reigning in heaven. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's a true it's a true reign. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Greg Bill, are you are you happy with that? Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're off to a great start. <laughs> that might be the last time you see us agree. Well, um, let me ask you this. Um, so, Dr. Schreiner, um, it, it's really funny. I've, I've been um, reading some of your works, and uh, it appears that sometimes you change your mind over which millennial view you have. So what view are you holding to today? Um, <laughs> well, really, yeah, what, I'm being persecuted right now. Um, I, I'm really, I am very unstable on this view. A few years ago, there was a debate uh, at Bethlehem Baptist. Uh, with, it was, Sam Storms was the all-millennialist, and I think Doug Wilson was the post-mill. And, and actually, Tom Steller called me and said, would you be pre-mill? And I said, no. I will not come up and do that because probably in the middle of the debate, I'll change my mind. <laughs> so I said, you want Jim Hamilton. So yeah. he, he went up there. So I, I've really struggled with this over the years. I've just gone back and forth. I don't, I, you know, we really need to ask Greg this question. I, 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 I've, it's just been a really difficult thing for me. I still feel the difficulty, but tentatively... Today. Today. Just right now. I, I'm leaning towards all millennial. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Beal, where are you at in, in your understanding? I'm an inaugurated ironic, uh, <laughs> an ironic millennialist. Ironic and ironic? Yes. Okay. Ironic, okay. peaceful, ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that the millennium has been inaugurated in the resurrection of Christ. And so, obviously, I don't believe it's just something future in a, you know, somewhat physically renovated earth. So I think it'll be consummated at the very end of the church age. So I see that it is a spiritual kingdom, and we see the saints in Revelation, for example. Christ is ruling now, and um, we're ruling along with him. Um, I mean, after all, it does say in Revelation 
uh, 1.5 that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. How much more do you want uh, in a millennium? Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then verse 6 says, and he made us to be a kingdom and priests. We reign with him. And uh, so um, I think that in, in, in chapter, very intriguingly, uh, chapter four, chapter five um, says this. Um, You've made them, again, it's repeating chapter one, verse six. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And some manuscripts say, and they will reign on the earth. It already says you have made them though. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. number of good manuscripts, I think a little bit better ones, say they are reigning upon the earth. That's a textual problem. But the first of the verse has already said they're a kingdom now. And if they will reign, if that's right, well, that means what's going on now will continue into the future. So inaugurated millennium. That's exegesis. That's interpretation of the text at that point. So yeah, you're on I, could, I would just say in response to that, even, even if it is a future tense, I don't think that verse would decide the millennial question because I think it could be the new heavens and new earth. So when he says they will reign upon the earth, I don't think that would necessarily support premillennialism anyway. I know, but it is typically used that way. Yeah. But especially by um, Greg Blazing and, and, and others, it's, uh, uh, it's typically used that way. I'm happy to see that because it does say yeah. in uh, chapter uh, 22, verse 5, that they, the saints will reign yeah. at that point. So you're exactly right. It could be new heavens and earth so yeah. that so that the, their kingdom and priests is their present kingdom, and then they'll reign in new heavens and earth. Um, but even, even if this were talking about some future millennium in the way historic or dispensational premillennialists talk about it, you've got to say it's inaugurated, which throws a wrench into their view. They're already a kingdom, and they will reign on the earth in the millennium. You know, it's, 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 it's begun. And so that's not a unique time of uh, Christ and the saints reigning on the earth. So, Yeah, the question isn't... Comp- uh, I, I, just to say something on the other side, the question... There I is nothing to be said on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had the certainty of Greg Bale. But um, I think that one of the difficulties, I, I think there are answers to it for the... Uh, all-millennial inaugurated eschatology reading is the word uh, for resurrection in Revelation 20, uh, that, it, that it doesn't refer to physical resurrection, because typically that word does refer to physical resurrection. And, um, I mean, even N.T. Wright in his book on the resurrection of the Son of God says the word resurrection, always, anastasis, always refers to physical resurrection. But then when he comes to Revelation 20, he says, but it doesn't here. Yeah. So... Okay. But I'm sure I'd love to hear Greg respond to that. Well, actually, Anastasis and Zao are used in parallelism in Romans and mm-hmm. uh, in John 5. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, in their semantic domains, they're synonymous. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in Revelation 20, it's very interesting. Everyone does agree 
that when it says their heads are going to be lopped off, that that's a physical death. First death. And then it talks about a second death. That's spiritual. Because their bodies aren't destroyed. Unless you're an annihilationist, and that's another problem, which I think is not a biblical view. And so the second death is spiritual death. So you have first death physical, second death spiritual. The mirror image of the two deaths are the resurrections. Since the deaths are different in kind and quality from one another, it is probable that the resurrections are different in kind and quality from one another. The first resurrection spiritual, speaking of believers. The second resurrection of the unbelieving dead, mentioned in verse 5, is um, a uh, physical resurrection. Uh, because unbelievers, it's interesting, many of us don't think about this, it's not just believers that will be raised physically at the end, but unbelievers too will be raised physically. They're two different destinations of where those bodies and souls go. So I think that the, this is... Um, um, I, I, I have a... Uh, exp- I, I discussed this in my Revelation uh, 20 section, but I think that um, I think that that is um, well. Obviously, to me, it's persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Dr. Del Husay, you say that you are a dispensational premillennial, um, and you hold to a rapture, right? Is that is that where? <laughs> no, I am an ironic uh, premillennialist. Okay, but not dispensational. Okay. No. Okay. So you'd be historic pre-mount. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, I suppose I, I approach Revelation as uh, less than literal, but more than metaphor. And uh, meaning trying to find that right discourse or the right approach to it. And so I see the strength of the inaugurated aspects. Certainly, Christ is reigning right now, and. Uh, we are reigning with him. Uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about awake, O sleeper, and rise yeah. from the dead, and Christ yeah. will shine upon you. And so um, all that makes sense. Um, you do have the fact that uh, most of the early church fathers, the, the earliest church fathers, seem to hold to a kind of premillennialism uh, until, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but until the fourth century, uh, you start to get the rise of an amillennial uh, viewpoint in the church, uh, and so the that that literal side, I suppose, I want to continue to think about. In that, you know, does Christ have unfinished business here on earth? <laughs> yeah, you know, talking about issues of justice and that sort of thing. Um, who inherits the earth? And so, I. Suppose I just hold to attention, which gets expressed in these these viewpoints. So. It is interesting that Charles Hill at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, the Orlando campus, his dissertation published with Oxford University Press called Regnum Calorum, which is heavenly rain, has indeed uh, um, tried to show uh, that, in fact, there's quite a bit of amillennial conceptions among the earliest fathers. Mm. So, but, but this, but Craig Blazing says Hill is totally wrong. And Craig Blazing is a premillennialist. And so, you know, the, uh, the, 
the patristic scholars uh, go back and forth. Um, <coughs> Blazing's no fool, but neither is Charles Hill. So be nice absolutely, to, it comes be down nice to, how... to see them debate. So, so on every one of these points, yeah. you know, uh, it's it's tough. I, I have to say, I taught with Doug Moo at Wheaton College, and <clears throat> I've edited a book with uh, Don Carson, their historic premillennial, and. Our biblical theology and our approach to biblical theology, as far as I can tell, is, is pretty, pretty close, except for the interpretation of Revelation 20, um, and possibly Romans 11:26, which says, uh, and so all Israel will be saved. So what does that mean? It's, that's greatly debated, but, um, Dr. Moon and I did debate that before some students. But nevertheless, basically our biblical theology is the same except for the interpretation of Revelation 20. So, um, uh, you know, I, I do think. Uh, what kind of conviction do I have about my view? Well, it's certainly not as great as my conviction that Jesus died and rose again. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as you can see, I have a conviction. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, I, <clears throat> the kinds of divisions. I have had students that have tried to become missionaries with mission agencies and they were refused because they weren't premillennialists. Now that happens on the other side as well, I'm sure. But uh, I, I do think that these issues um, need, need to be viewed in, in, in the perspective uh, that this is... These, these are these are very very tough issues. They really are. And um, uh, now, what I am more convinced about is uh, is the dispensational form of premillennialism that says the church is not true Israel. Um, and I, I, I think that um, that is not as viable. Historic premillennialism, still by you and. Dr. Carson, Dr. Moon, and others, I think, I think it was a, a viable view. And on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, you hold that view. Right? <laughs> Wait until tomorrow. <laughs> but on Sunday, you're an amillennial. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, uh, Dr. Schreiner, one of the questions that came in was concerning Revelation 6 mm. um, and the horses. Mm. And um, this particular person asked, um, these horses sound very similar to the horses in Zechariah 1 and 6. Uh-huh. And so would you see a um, relationship between those horses? And if so, how is that about Jesus? Well, how is the first one about Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I like that question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't think, um, yes, I think there's a, a, a recognition and a fulfillment of Zechariah 1 and six in terms of judgments coming upon the earth. But I don't think that we can derive from Zechariah that there's no, that, that the parallels are exact in every respect. So, so I think we see from Revelation itself and the way apocalyptic literature is used that the first, that the first horse does represent the coming of Jesus. So I think you could even argue in Zechariah, Zechariah, the coming of the horses represents God's reign over people, finally. The first horse. Yes, yes. No, not not the first horse, the horses as a whole. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Also, uh, there was a question uh, that was sent in, and if you want to defer until tomorrow, that's fine. If you one of these questions you'll be getting to, but who are the two witnesses? 
Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, My whole message tomorrow is on Revelation 11 and the two witnesses. Very good. That's why I didn't say anything about it tonight. (laughs) And how are we to understand the way that these books are organized? I mean, are they written chronologically? Um, How is Revelation organized for us to read? How should we be looking at that? Well, Tom mentioned the recapitulation um, perspective. And... um, I mean, there are, there, are, there are some who believe that the way Revelation is laid out, in other words, the order of the visions from chapter 4 and all the way up to 22.5, that the order of the visions represents the order of future events. So it's just all a chronological map. Now, there are all kinds of other permutations and views among the futurists, um, But if you look at the first series of seven, that is the seals that uh, Tom Schreiner just spoke about, it concluded with judgment. And I think the seventh seal is judgment as well. Um, So then you get to the trumpets. And the um, sixth trumpet ends with an earthquake, massive amounts of people being killed, and it's sort of the beginning of judgment just in the way the, uh, the sixth seal is the beginning of judgment. They're hiding they're sort of in the rocks. Um, and then the seventh seal, very clear, it's judgment. The time came for the dead to be judged as, as well as uh, the saints to reign. But it's, it's judgment. And, and then you have uh, seven signs from chapters, chapter 12 up to the end of 14. And that ends with judgment. Remember the blood coming up to the horses' bridles, and it's a it's, a, it's an amazing final judgment section. And then the uh, bowls end with a clear note of final judgment in the sixth and seventh bowl. So what's the point? Well, in the seals, you, you you get a picture of of the church age ending in final judgment. Then it starts over again. Film starts again, but and it's from different perspectives. You, you, you then look at the trumpets, and there are things there that happen during the church age, but the sixth and the seventh are final judgment. And, um, and so the final, these, these cycles end in judgment. So let's say with, with the seals, for example, uh, if there's final judgment, then the trumpets aren't going to continue to narrate history on this earth. Um, what are they narrating? Well, they're going back again. And then they move to the final judgment. And so um, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's an old view, the recapitulation view, though. Uh, today, the more popular view is some kind of chronological sequence, or there are some who hold that the, uh, they would agree with what I've said, but it's all about the future. They would disagree with Tom and me, for example, that uh, the majority of the seals are about the church age so that you can hold this recapitulation view and still be a futurist like um, Beasley Murray uh, does. So I, I don't know if you want to add to that. Uh, well, I, I, it's an older book. I don't agree with every detail, but I still think it's helpful to read. I think Hendrickson's little commentary on Revelation helps you see in a, in a, in a clear way in a pretty simple book on Revelation the recapitulation. Now, I, I wouldn't endorse every detail, 
But I, but I think it's a helpful book to read. To, if you've seen it chronologically, it's helpful to read to kind of reorient the way you, you read the book. William Hendrickson. Is it still in print? I don't know. Is yeah, it? It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, my wife and I read that devotionally uh, during my doctoral uh, days, and uh, it's a very devotional work, too. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's an overview. It's not an in-depth commentary, yeah. but yeah. I, I commend it. Yeah. Mm. Very good. Well, I think we've run out of time, so we're going to go ahead and um, uh, have Chuck Newkirk from Church on Mill come and pray for us. Uh, make sure that tomorrow... Uh, you show up, um, we'll open the doors about 8.15, we'll have a continental breakfast, so um, you can have breakfast here if you want to pick something up. Um, if not, you can pick up coffee on the way if you prefer to pay like three bucks for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, we've got that. Um, we'll also have coffee here and water and all those sorts of things, so we'll look forward to seeing y'all tomorrow. Um, Chuck, pray for us and we'll be dismissed.